Welcome to Weston Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westernroadchurch.com give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. The title of the sermon is a little long, and I encourage you, take notes. Don't just listen, but take notes. It helps you actually process and remember what you're hearing. So the title of the message this morning is Three Surprising Things the Church Doesn't Need. Three surprising things that the church doesn't need. There are many things as a church that we need. But this morning, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a twist and approach it from a different perspective. You know, we've had a great summer, and maybe some of you have had the opportunity to get away, uh, get some R&R, some rest. There are a lot of people traveling to Europe that made me a little jelly. But when I saw the pictures, it's like I I lived the experience through their posts and pictures. Um, But whatever the case, maybe you're like, it was a staycation for us. We didn't really do much. Um, It's okay. It's okay. We're glad that you're here. And, you know, I prayed for myself, actually, a little little selfish moment. Because I was feeling tired, actually, coming back from vacation and starting to get... I said, Lord, I just pray today that in me... You would do a renewing work now that it'll feel like I had like seven weeks off. Not just two, but like seven. And, and to allow myself to be refreshed. You know, you can refresh yourself in the Lord's presence. You don't need to go to Mexico or Italy or uh, Jamaica. You could just get in the presence and allow the Lord to minister to you. And times of refreshings will happen. And it's, you have to know this because for some of us, this is like the reset into September and you're going to hit a brick wall, some of us, uh, because we start running too fast and you need to remember, hey, I need to get into the presence. So encounter night next Sunday night, 630, it's not about lights and smoke and production, it's The simplicity of getting in the habit of coming into the presence of the Lord with no agenda. To say, Lord, I have to slow down long enough that I could be in your presence. And you will find when you do it, he will refresh and he'll bring his renewing to your soul. He'll give you that kind of rest. Not, did I make my eight hours? My watch says I didn't sleep that well last night. Because we're really good at tracking some of that. But our prayer, nevertheless, is that you've had a blessed summer. Um, I'm believing that the last quarter of 2023 is going to be monumental. That's where my faith is at. Um, Not just because I had two weeks of vacation, but because as I look ahead, some of us, our eyes are too fixed and focused on the day-to-day stuff that we actually can't perceive what God is about to do. But as I lift up my eyes and I look ahead, I say, Lord, thank you for the souls. Lord, thank you for the people that you are going to bring in our path and my path personally. Thank you for what you're doing in our church because God's moving. Can you say amen? Amen. I see it. I hear the stories. I talk one-on-one with you. And I'm excited for what God is doing in your life and in your family. And so get a bigger vision for your life. Get a bigger vision, not just like, oh, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to get that raise for what God is doing in your life. Get that vision. 
you know, we're going to, like I said, pray the way into the new school year. Because sometimes we're so busy buying the shoes and making sure they have the clothes. But spiritually, we have to prepare the way for our children as well. It is important. And this morning, as I've said, three, thing, three surprising things the church doesn't need. And I, I'm going to, it's kind of like as the pastor shooting myself in the foot. But point number one is the church doesn't need another sermon. I'm done. God bless you guys. But before we get to why we don't need just another sermon, I do need to build up a case for, no, we need the preaching of God's word. Isaiah 55, 11, it's written actually right under my feet. I wrote it in a big old Sharpie before we laid the carpet. It says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. Say always. always. So the word will always work. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So there's a great case for preaching God's word, for reading God's word aloud. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by what? The word, the word of God. Another translation, I think it's the NLT says, by hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And so I'm not undermining the importance of the preaching of the word. But the reason the church doesn't need another sermon is because we are fat on sermons. Or we get fat on sermons. And to contrast that, we starve in the area of living it out. We're fat on sermons. And in our culture today, you can go on YouTube and have a whole playlist, sermon after sermon after sermon, or on your podcast, your favorite app, sermon after sermon. And you could get fat on sermons. But listen, sermons that are preached are not meant to solely be heard. They're best when they're lived out. And that's how the word begins to work in us and then through us. It can't just stop with me. It has to work through me. And so that's really why we get too fat sometimes. Let's, you know, liken a sermon to food. And some of you already see the picture. If you sit down and all you do is eat, eat, oh, I'm going to take another, eat, eat. Soon you get so fat that you can't even get up and get, you know, I've joked at weddings. I'm like, I'm going to need someone to roll me to my car <laughs> because that's how we feel. And, and the word of God is not meant to make us fat. You know what it's meant to do though? Continue to build a bigger appetite so we will want more and more and more. Why? Because we're expensing it out or expending it out more and more and more. That's how the word of God needs to work in our lives. So we don't need another sermon. What we actually need is follow through on what we've heard. And I want to continue to give you a bit more scripture to build that up. You know, if a sermon was going to change the world, it would have happened already, right? It would have been like Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon, 3,000 are saved, but it didn't stop. There were more people, but hear me for a second. The way we change the world is by doing what Jesus said. And what did he say? Let's look at Matthew 28. It's known as the Great Commission. It's actually not just sitting and hearing a sermon, but in light of all of what you've heard and what you've seen and what you've been taught, Jesus was telling them, therefore, go, go and make disciples of all nations. The last time I checked, go is a verb. 
It's an action step. And so it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we have a God who responds. You know, we were singing it this morning. Call the name, call the name Jehovah. So we have a God who responds, but we need to be a people who respond as well. We have a God who responds. Are we a people? Am I a person then who also responds? That when I hear the word, I just I don't go, ooh, I got the chills, or that was a word for me. I feel good because I feel like, you know, God used the pastor or the speaker or the person to really hit that point in me that I've been struggling with or dealing with. And, and we just stop there. No, no, no. We have to allow what God is doing to actually transform and inform our life. Too many times we just say, okay, thanks God, you're still thinking about me. And we continue living in the same sin. We continue living in the same manner and nothing actually has changed. But God's desire, if you've walked in this way, one way, he doesn't want you to leave the same way. He is good enough, powerful enough, strong enough to transform your life. So again, you don't need another sermon You don't need another prophetic word spoken over your life. You need to run with it, what you've already been told. And allow it to work in you, but allow it then to work through you. So he said to his disciples, go now and make disciples. James chapter 1, uh, verse 21 to 25. I'm going to read a bit of the scripture, but it, it really, if I could summarize it, it's basically saying don't just be hearers, you got to be doers of the word. And so verse 21, James 1 says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. So if you don't get rid of sin, evil, and the filth, you know what happens? Everything gets murky and cloudy and it's very hard to hear the Lord. You hear me? And it's not that the Lord is not speaking to you. It's not that he's not getting at you it's that you just can't hear because the water is too murky you can't see clearly and it's just muddy and gross and we're reminded in verse 21 so get rid of it in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted so the word was there but it was murky because of filth and evil and sin And accept the word God's planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. So there's power in the word. Look at verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must, I'm going to say it again like a parent, you must do what it says. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. So you can, you can tell, Pastor, great message, it was for me. And some of you do that. And, you know, it's not to puff me up. It's like I say, thank you, God. Continue to use me as your mouthpiece. But we have to be very careful that it doesn't just stop there. And, and I'm always, you know, the older I get in ministry, the longer I've been in ministry, I don't know if sermons should make people feel good. Because <laughs> the word, if it's going to work in me, it's got to do some abrasive stirring in me sometimes, most of the time. Right? To activate the yeast when you're making pizza dough, 
I look, I don't do it by hand. We have a bread machine and we have a great recipe for it. But that thing is so annoying for an hour and a half. Go, gling, gling, it's spinning. But the yeast has to work its way through for it to work. Allow the word of God to work through you. Don't just listen to God's word, verse 22. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. I've messed up the, the pizza dough where, I don't know, I didn't put enough yeast or something happened. And it just, it, you could fool people, but it actually says you're only fooling yourselves when you don't get it right. When you're just saying great word, but not actually applying it to you and living it out. You're fooling yourself, nobody else. Verse 23, for if you listen to the word and don't obey... Here it is, very personal. It is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. There's a blessing for obeying what you've heard. When God speaks, there's a blessing when you obey and live it out. And you walk it out. Pastor, but it's hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. He never promised it would be simple or easy. Most of the time it's actually simple, but it's not easy. We just don't want to change. And so we don't need another sermon. It's a surprising thing, I know. What we actually need is action. In light of what I've heard today, Holy Spirit, show me what I'm supposed to do. I think that's the most powerful prayer you can pray at the end of our service today. In light of what I've heard, show me what I'm supposed to do and help me to do it. Help me to live it out. You know, in business they say that a good idea without execution is worth what? Millions? No, it's worth nothing. Having the good idea isn't enough. It's good. It's a good start. It's not enough though. Why? Because you have to do something about it. Do something with the idea. Execute on the idea. In the same way, lives are forever changed Hear me, in decisions made not merely hearing a good sermon. Lives are changed on decisions made. And when you decide, that means you take action. And so, sing, I remember... I have decided to follow Jesus, right? No turning back, no turning back. I've decided. And it says, the cross before me, who's behind me? The world. That means I've made a 180 degree turn to follow Jesus Christ with my whole life. It took an act of decision, but also of turning to say, I'm, I'm not looking back. I'm not going back. I'm never going to be the same. I am made brand new. And so we have to stay true to the decisions we've made. But those decisions have to be made for us to be able to follow through. And how do we make decisions? By being compelled by what we hear. And so we don't need another sermon. What we actually need is for a people to say, I'm going to do what God has said in his word. And we will be blessed because of it. And we will see him do great and mighty things in us first and then through us. Because it can't stop in us. It has to flow through us. So again, whenever you sit under the preaching of the word, you need to be asking the Holy Spirit, in light of what I heard, 
What do you need me to do? I can't answer that. Because I've preached sermons where I thought it's going to hit this way. And people come over here and say, this really ministered to me. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that or intend for that. But praise God. Because the word works. And it's not how I think. We say, God, have your way. I surrender everything to you. And so let the word speak to you today, wherever you're at. And his word will minister. You don't need another sermon. What you need is to say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to do in light of what I heard? The second surprising thing the church doesn't need. You ready for this one? I'm still shooting myself in the foot. Another worship set. We don't need another worship set. Again, let me first build the case for why we worship and why it's important. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 say, uh, He is the image, Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. And get this, all things were created through Him, and for him. So I'm a created being. Read Genesis. You'll find the whole story. I'm a created being. Therefore, I was created, as it says, all things were created through Jesus, but for him. So my life is worship back to God. That I was created to worship. I don't want to, I get very passionate, so I have to stay in my lane, or else we'll never get through the sermon. But when we, you know, there's a song we sing, for from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. So my life is worship back to God. My life has to be worship back to God. But I'm building the case for what we do here. So Psalm 150, not 1 verse 50, Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, I don't have to work very hard to build a case for why we praise God together, why we sing, why we have a band. And, and it's great. It's amazing. I, I love worshiping as a family here at Weston. Scripture is full of invitations to worship with singing and shouting, clapping and dancing, full of songs, and even telling us to worship loudly on instruments. We read it. Read Isaiah 6, Revelation 4, and you'll quickly see the scene in heaven where there, this scene in heaven where there is unceasing, constant worship around the throne. So again, in this earth, we're governed by time, but in eternity, there is, I can't say 24-7 because there's no time, but for all eternity, there's unceasing worship going on. And when we gather as the church... What's happening? We are joining with all of heaven in worship, right? It's not, it doesn't start and stop with the band on the stage, with the singers, when, when the countdown hits zero and we begin the service with worship. That 
is what we do corporately, but all we're simply doing is joining with all of heaven that is already worshiping. And one day, my prayer, my hope, is we'll do that forevermore. It is a beautiful picture of what we're going to do forevermore in eternity. But, you know, again, what I'm saying is, but we don't need another worship set. So surprisingly enough, the church, we, we don't need another worship. Pastor John, what are you saying? Well, I submit to you instead that we need a church who knows how to worship when the music stops. This is easy and comfortable and convenient. But where is the church that knows how to worship when the music stops? Can I hear an amen? Where's the church? Where is the church that knows how to worship when there's no worship leader to say, come on, let's stand, let's lift our hands, let's sing praises. Or there's no pastor to open the service. You're a worship leader. All of you as believers, we are worship leaders. We lead ourselves in worship. We have to. And if you're not, if you don't know how, you got to learn. Again, you get in the presence of God and you say, Lord, I'm here for you. Psalm 103, if you want to go and make a note, read it. Because the psalmist is saying, I tell myself, bless the Lord, O my soul. And sometimes you won't have a pastor around, you won't have a spouse or a parent or a, a friend to encourage you, but you have to preach to yourself and lead yourself in worship of Jesus Christ, the Lord Most High. And most of the times when my worship has been most meaningful, yes, I've had amazing moments in the church, but the most impactful moments in worship that have transformed me were in my personal time with the Lord. Where it was just me and Him, almost if I could say like face to face in the intimacy. For me, it happens at the piano. And I'll sit at the piano, just me and God, especially when no one's home. And I crank the speakers nice and loud. And I just begin to worship. I don't, I don't really have an agenda <laughs> Don't really know what I'm saying. I don't even know how much time, but I'm just going to play what, as the Spirit leads me. And it brings me to this place of intimacy with Jesus. Now, you might not be an instrumentalist. So you say, Pastor, that's good for you. But what about me? You don't need music. Music is simply a vehicle that gets us somewhere. So if you don't have music, then use your words. Open up the Psalms and begin to read the Psalms and get into the prayer. It's just the vehicle that gets you there. Can we worship without music? Absolutely. But interestingly enough, God built it right into us with these pipes right here. And we could sing. This is the first instrument right here that we can make noise and music and worship with our singing. It is a beautiful thing. And so I'm talking about a people who know how to worship even when it makes no sense. Because sometimes we think, praise God, I got the raise. Praise God, I'm healed. Praise God. But what if you're not? Can you still praise Him? Can you still say that you are worthy of worship? You know, I, I can't determine every outcome. What I can determine is my response. And my response, I've learned the best response is worship. When life makes no sense, worship. It confuses the devil, so you worship. You know, not because everything's going great, but in spite of everything that's going wrong, I will worship you, God. 
not when that's convenient when life's good but it's when it's hard that's when it's the sacrifice of praise that I get to offer because he's worthy so we don't need another worship set where we seek to get all the goodies and the feels that we came for perhaps but rather I submit again to you that we need a people who understand that worship is not what I can get we need this shift of mindset, but rather it's what I can give my king. Again, worship is me with my life coming before my maker and saying, God, I'm, I'm yours. Whatever you need, Lord, whatever I have, whatever I could bring, Lord, I willingly give it to you. That's the heart posture of worship. It's not this. That's outward and, and God looks at the heart. So if you're doing this so someone could see you, stop doing it. But when I lift my hands, it's because my heart is surrendered. And this is just the outward symbol for me and for the Lord. Like, God, this is yours. This is yours. Take it all. Or like, I agree with what I'm singing this morning. I agree with those words on the screen. Not I agree with the beat or I agree with the melody. I agree with your word. And Lord, I'm here to worship and to offer myself. Not what I came to get, but rather worship is what I came to give. Look at Romans 12 verse 1 on that note. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It's not in dropping money in the offering, giving digitally. It's not even only limited to that or to serving at Weston. It's, it's your life. It's everything that God has put inside of you and around you to offer back to him for his glory, for his kingdom, for his purpose. That is how we worship the Lord. We are the living sacrifices. And again, maybe you've heard me say this. The challenge, not the trouble, the challenge with a living sacrifice is that we can crawl off the altar. God, I'm yours. And then Monday comes and it's like, well, I said it. <laughs> Are you willing to live it out? Every day, put yourself back on the altar and say, God, I am yours. Lord, I worship you. Last note, and then we'll get to the third part. There's a, one of my favorite stories, Acts chapter 16. I want to read some verses. Usually I'll quote it in verse 25, but I want to read the story where Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. Again, I think we don't need another worship set. Worship starts when the music ends. Here's one of those amazing moments. And we'll start reading in verse 22, Acts 16. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them. Listen, we don't really quote this when we talk about, and at midnight, Paul and Silas. But listen, they ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Verse 23, they were severely beaten. Get a picture of what that looks like in your mind. The imagery of two men severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. There was a punishment if they did escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon. 
and clamp their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, this is the one we usually quote, forgetting maybe the first parts that we just read. Around midnight, what are Paul and Silas, what's their response? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I, I always have to stop there. Because your worship is directed towards God, but it's also a sign to others around that are unbelievers. Your worship is powerful. You know, you hear me say it, if the word of God is a sword, worship is how we swing it. Think about that. So even in the dungeon, severely beaten in the inner dungeon part, they're worshiping, they're singing, they're praying, and the other prisoners are listening. And really, they're setting an example to say, this stuff, this is just temporal. This body, it's just a container. It's temporal. What's inside is what really matters. This power and this light of Jesus Christ, that's really what makes the difference. And so they're praising, they're worshiping, and verse 26 says, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. So your worship isn't just so that you're free, but even for those that are around you who can be set free, but God yeah. is looking for a conduit. We don't need another worship set. We don't need a fourth song or a fifth song or a tag to be added. Really, what we need is a church who will begin to worship when the music stops. When we walk out this door, and in the face of fear, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of discouragement, in the face of depression, that we will begin to worship the Lord. And it's saying, God, take my life. I'm yours. That's worship. And so we don't need another sermon we don't need another worship set. The third surprising thing the church doesn't need is another God. We don't need another God. I'm going to ask the worship team if you would make your way to the platform. And uh, deacons, just hold tight before we're not, we're not going to get to communion quite yet. We're almost there. But we, we don't need another God. The one we have is all we need. Can you say amen? amen? He's more than enough. El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. God Almighty. I don't need another. You know, but the, the reality is, many of us have small g gods. And so we, you know, we don't need another God. I put capital G, because there's only one. But in this day and age, we have a lot of other idols that have crept in. A lot of other things that have distracted our attention and our focus and even our time. You know, we put our three kids in soccer this summer thinking it would be the best idea ever. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Saturday picture day, Saturday next retake of the picture day. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm really happy we sacrificed money. It was very expensive to put them in soccer. I'm like, what's the sport with the least amount of equipment? You know, to purchase soccer, because it's just cleats and shin pads. It was very expensive, and it took more than the money. It was our time. And we realized, man, we feel like we're tied down. 
And some of us, we've become enslaved to sports to our, for our children. I'm talking to parents here, um, getting our kids to this uh, appointment and that schedule. And, to hear, and, and we're tired as a result. And our worship looks like we're flipping a nickel to God as a tip. Follow me for a second. We say, no, no, I don't have idols. I don't have any statues in my house. Maybe some of my relatives have, but not me. But we've made these things in our lives gods or idols that have taken the rightful place, the number one spot of where God desires to be. It's just translation, perhaps. Judges chapter 3, verse 7. I want you to hear the word. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. How? Well, they forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. Now, we're talking about a people that God personally cared about, would personally lead them, and they experienced great and mighty things. Is God personally leading you and me? Yes. Just let me put that disclaimer there. But here... Even seeing with their physical eyes these amazing wonders, Scripture says they forgot about the Lord their God and they served. When you read the word served, it's not like buddy-buddy. It's like they were in submission to. You catch that? They became subject to these idols. They served like slaves. They served these other images, these other gods. And how many of you know God has some thoughts about that? Yeah, I want to share with you out of Exodus 20. Again, a quick recap. The first two commandments. You shall, not, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make idols. But let me read you Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt. The place of your what? Slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. It's pretty harsh. Don't forget, this is Old Covenant. But hear the next part. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and what? Obey my commands. You don't need another God. He loves you. He is for you, not against you. You don't need another God. Instead, the church needs to remember that He is more than enough. That He is all I need. That He has already provided and He's already made a way for you and for me. I don't need another God. He is my all-sufficient one. And do you believe Him as that for your life today? You can take him at his word. 
You don't need another God. Matthew 7 verse 11 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask who? Him. So that's, he's giving us in his word a picture of the kind of God that he is. He's a loving father. James chapter 1 verse 17 tells us every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's not flippant. He is constant. He is steady and he is faithful. He's dependable. That's the kind of father he is. And even as we prepare our hearts for communion, at this point I'll ask our deacons to get ready with the elements and just hold them at the back. Don't be distracted by them. That's why I told them they can go and get ready. But I don't need another God. You know why? Because he made provision for my sin, for my sickness, for every need that I would have. And when we look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to get a view of what Jesus came to do. The Bible says he came to destroy the works of the devil. Did you ever hear that? Did you ever read that in scripture? I should have written down chapter and verse. But you can look it up. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. But look at what Hebrews 10 says in verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never, by the way, take away sins. But our high priest, who's our high priest? Jesus. Listen to this. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. When it says a single sacrifice, it means one sacrifice good for all of time. So as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. I want you to think about the word this morning. Think about it. God enacted a better covenant for you and for me. You know, as a priest, he would have, there's a lot of blood that had to be shed, a lot of sacrificing that had to be done for the sins to be forgiven. The, the sacrifices themselves could not change them from the inside. Just God said, this is how I will forgive your, your sin. But when he sent Jesus, something new and different happened. You know what happened? He said, not only is Jesus the high priest, but he's also the lamb that was slain. And Jesus laid down his life, shed his blood, because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sins. And so in the Old Testament, they would kill again and again. There had to be blood. But Jesus, what he did on the cross was once and for all time. It's finished. It is done. It is finished and it is done. And as we prepare our hearts, I've asked the worship team to sing a song titled that, It Is Finished. The struggle with sin, it is finished. Jesus bore stripes on his back and paid the price. Otherwise, 
you and I would have had to pay the price. For the Bible says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You see that? And so would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing this song in its entirety, and then I'm going to lead us in our time of communion.
he is risen. Grace is here. Love has triumphed over death forever. Can we do it again? It's done. It is finished. Come on, church. I just want to hear you. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Just ask that you would hold the elements in your hand. And just before we partake together, I want us to think and to reflect this morning. Now we approach the table of the Lord and there's something amazing that happens. You know, you might not realize this, but Christians all over the world are instructed to take time and to remember. To take time and remember what Jesus has done. And we partake of this holy meal together. And so this is not just something that we do at Weston, but believers all over the world. And so we're partaking with every other believer as well. We're a part of a big family. And the reminder, this is something sacred. This is something for the church that Jesus instituted and instructed us to do until he comes again. And so just to answer the question of who may participate, I know we passed on it. Maybe I should have said it first, but is for those who've declared Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And, and if you haven't given your life to Jesus in that way, it's not that we're excluding you or pushing you. It's just Jesus was very specific that this is an important meal. And if you don't understand the significance, um, you know, you shouldn't partake. Our prayer, though, is that you would say yes to Jesus. Our prayer is that you would receive his love and forgiveness for your sins and receive him as Lord and Savior to never be the same again. And you will understand why this cup is the way it is. And so I want to just share a few thoughts uh, also from Scripture. But it says, the loaf of bread, it was broken. And it's a picture of Jesus' body. It's his body was broken, and yet it is whole. And so what I want to show you is, this is just a loaf of bread, not the bread Jesus would have used, by the way, but to symbolically show you his body was broken for you and for me. And as you think about that, it's a reminder of the sacrifice that he made on the cross, willingly giving himself for our redemption. And so as you hold the bread now in your hands or the wafer, I want you to consider the wounds and the pain that he endured. Why? All for the sake of our reconciliation with God. 
And in the scriptures it says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat together as we remember what Jesus has done. Thank you, Lord. And as you hold your cup, just look at it for a second. Get, get a visual for the cup that you're holding, not just the cup, what's inside of it. You know, the, Jesus would have held a cup of wine. And in the same as what we're holding in this grape juice, it's a deep and rich color. And it symbolizes the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. It's meant as a representation of the new covenant. And as you raise this cup today, let's reflect on the depth of his love, the cleansing power of his sacrifice, and thirdly, the promise of eternal fellowship that we will forever have with him. I read to you out of 1 Corinthians verse 25, chapter 11. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Could we just sing the chorus of that song? It is done. It is finished. It is done. Done. It is finished. Let's remember what he's done. His word stands final and 
Just as we close this service today, I don't want to dismiss without giving you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, how do you know if you know? Well, the Bible says that you have to confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead. And you firstly repent of your sin, and then you do those two. And it says you will be saved. And so if you're here and there's not a day that you remember asking Jesus Christ to be Lord, I want to give you a moment before we close. In light of everything you've heard today, remember the most important question? Holy Spirit, in light of what I've heard, what am I supposed to do? For some of you, this is your moment. This is your first moment where in light of what you've heard, you need to receive Christ. And I'm not going to waste any more time, but if you're here, I'm going to count to three because it's going to force you to make a decision. Otherwise, we'll be like, oh, maybe. So on the count of three, it's not to embarrass you, but it's to lead you to your next step, to deciding to follow Jesus. If you're here within the sound of my voice and you'd like to pray that prayer with me to receive Christ as Lord, on the count of three, you just slip your hand. One, two, and three. I see that hand at the back. Is there anyone else? Just wait a second. Anyone else? Amen. You could put your hand down. Maybe you're watching online. You're not excluded. This is for you too. We're going to lead in a prayer. And because it's by confessing, some of you might say, I don't know how to do that. Well, I want to lead you to that prayer. So I'm going to ask that you would repeat this after me. And in fact, I'll invite whosoever will to pray this as a church family, but also especially if you've raised your hand or you're watching online and you mean business today with Jesus. So pray this together with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am, but I thank you that you're not leaving me the same way I came in. Today I choose to repent of my sin and to turn to follow you, Jesus. And so I confess now with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God, you raised him from the dead. And so I come to you and your word says that I'll never be the same again. So I declare now that I receive you by faith. The old me is dead and gone. And as the scripture says, I am a brand new creation. 
So give me a right heart. Give me right desires. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And I thank you that I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Can we say amen together today? And we thank the Lord. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope listening to this week's sermon has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.